Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Hey, if you have your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 4. We're going to continue through this series in the Gospel of Mark that we have been, you guys have been working through. I say we, but you. Uh, I, as Tim said, I am uh, a, a native of Virginia. My family and I have been here for 20 years. We, uh, I have three kids. My oldest is my daughter Maggie, who you just heard about. She's 20. She lives in Nashville. And my middle just turned 16. He uh, turned 16 two days ago. And pray for me. And um, my youngest is 14. And so we have like the Irish twin thing happening. And she's got red hair, so she lives up to that as well. Uh, So pray for me again. Um, So uh, we're going to go through this parable of from the Gospel of Mark with Jesus, and we're going to also work our way through the entire chapter. So if I go too quick for you, just um, hang on. It'll all make sense at the end. Uh, if you're one of those people that take notes, we do have some, some uh, verses and things that we'll have up here to help you. But um, let me just read the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 4, and then I'll pray and we'll jump into it. In Mark chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables, and his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, The plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parable. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever hearing, or I'm sorry, ever seeing and never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Let's pray. God, this morning we thank you for the time of worship. What a wonderful reminder, Lord, that we can turn all of our storms and the battles that we face into a song, Lord God, that we can cast them on you and that you are victorious. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning through this time in your word. Lord, I ask you to help me to deliver it faithfully and may your Holy Spirit fill me and put words in my mouth. But we yield ourselves this morning to you. We ask for you to bear fruit in our lives, Lord God. May you work in our hearts this morning. And so we yield this time to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for praying with me. The Gospel of Mark is a great...
gospel book. It's the shortest of, the all four, of all four of the gospels. It's a power-packed gospel. It just moves so quickly through. Uh, it seems like when you read through the gospel, it's like Jesus is doing this miracle, and then he's healing that person, and then he's walking on that lake, and he's doing, raising that person from the dead. And if you were to only read the gospel of Mark, you would think, what an amazing thing it would be like to be a disciple of Jesus during this time in his three-year ministry. Yes, absolutely, it would be amazing. But it would seem just from the way that Mark wrote out the gospel here that it was like one thing after the other. It's a power-packed, fast-paced book. Each of the books, each of the gospels have a unique audience in mind and a unique purpose that God placed in them for writing them and that they were put in the canon of our scriptures. And so Mark's gospel has all of the action, if you will, of what the gospels were in Jesus' ministry. And I just love that because it's so fast-paced, it never gets boring, and it just has amazing truths about God, his kingdom, and his, his character that we can take away from it. One of the ways that Jesus would expose the kingdom, the truths of the kingdom, and the truths of who he was in his nature, his character of his father, and all that relates to him was through the, a, a way of teaching called parables. And parables are found throughout the entire Bible. You can find them in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There's even a parable that I found in the book of Revelation. You'll have to go look for it and you can find it yourself. I won't won't give you that one. That's your homework. But it's throughout all of Scripture we find this teaching style that they call parabolic language or parabolic teaching. And what's amazing to me is that these parables that Jesus gives in the Gospels, which we think that compiled, there's probably anywhere from 24 to 27 parables that Jesus spoke. There's a lot that you can find in all of the Gospels. Each Gospel has their own unique ones that are found only in their particular Gospel. We'll go over one of those this morning. But there's purposes behind the parables that Jesus taught. For example... Jesus would use earthly metaphors or earthly truths or stories or uh, different types of items to display and to speak to a deeper spiritual truth. For instance, in this one, he uses a farmer. Well, they would be really familiar in this time period with the agricultural style of living. That was a main way of making a living. And so it would totally identify with the majority of the audience. In other places, he talks about fishing. And so you're going to find that Jesus will use a parable that takes an everyday common event, something that you're very familiar with, and he lays it out there so that the listener, the hearer, can relate to it. But what's hidden underneath this parable, this teaching, this example, is a deeper, more profound spiritual truth that he's pointing to. That's why when you get to verse 12... At the end of what we just read, it says, They may ever be seen and never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. What he's saying there is that, and this is a quote out of Isaiah, by the way. What he's saying there is that they do not have the eyes to necessarily see the spiritual truth. But when you cast out this parable to them, when he shares it with them, he's calling them to not turn away to it as a turn away a blind eye, but rather to look more intently into it and examine it more closely. And so that's what the purpose was behind it. And that's the way that Jesus used these parables. There was a hidden kingdom uh, story, a secret. He actually says it's a kingdom secret that's embedded within the story and the examples that he's using there. So when we look here at the parable in Mark chapter 4 of the sower in particular, 
There's three primary elements that Jesus speaks to. He speaks to the sower, he speaks to the seed, and he also speaks to the soil. The sower found throughout the Gospels are, are representative of several, actually throughout the Bible, are representative of several things. One in particular, the sower can be found and be equated to God. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 37, God likens himself to a sower in relation to the nation of Israel, how he's going to plant them and he's going to nurture and care for them. And so he is a sower, a farmer. He, he equates himself as that for the nation of Israel. Jesus calls himself a sower. He equates to himself as a sower in Matthew chapter 13. He literally says, I am the one who sowed the good seed. It is the son of man. So Matthew, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13, Jesus says he's the, the sower in that one. Then in other places, we have that the Holy Spirit would be the sower. In John chapter 3 in particular, John and uh, Jesus and Nicodemus are having a conversation. Nicodemus is speaking with Jesus, and Jesus relates to him how the Holy Spirit is like wind, and it goes wherever it wants. And this reference is that many times seeds will be carried along by the wind and planted wherever the wind decides to lay them. So you have God, you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. But in this particular parable, he's speaking to the everyday Christian, the believer, the disciple. He's saying that in this parable, the sower that we find here is you and me. And it's important for us to pay attention to that. Because the identity being you and I, it means that this parable is going to speak to us a deeper truth that we can understand not only about God, but understand in relationship to our calling and our purpose that God has for us. The calling and purpose of the people of God is the Great Commission, to go into all the world to preach the good news to all creation, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission is what we've been given as a commandment, as believers, as disciples, as those who are the children of God. And we are the sower in this particular parable. Next, he talks about the seed. The seed here in the parable is the kingdom of God, the word of God, the gospel of truth. It's the whole counsel of God's word. We are, he's saying that it's being cast out upon a path and some soils and different things. And so when we cast out the word of God, it's us not only living out the word of God, but sharing it verbally through our lives, through our words, through our actions, through our prayers. We are all living out the word of God. And so the seed that is being brought into the world is God's word primarily, the gospel message, the kingdom principles, and all that's connected to that wonderful life that we have eternally in Jesus. And lastly, he says that there's soil that this seed is being cast out to by the sower. And there's several types of soil that the seed will end up landing on. In fact, the first one is called the path. And it's found in verse 4 and also in verse 15 because Jesus will go on to explain this parable to his disciples. But he says in verse 15, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown into them. And so he's saying that there is a certain type of soil that is representative of an individual. And that individual's condition is what, they, what I like to call a heart that is hardened, or the hardened heart. And think about it, a path. 
which would have been very common in that day. They didn't have, you know, highways. They had highways and byways in the sense of where carts and horses and people would walk along. They didn't have asphalt like today. But what the result would be through the dry air and the packing down from the traffic, it would become so hard it would be like asphalt. And so he's saying that he's equating that this condition of this path, this hardness of soil is like an individual who has a heart that is not able to have the word of God penetrate through and into it. He says that this is like the person who maybe sits next to you at work. Maybe they're someone you know, a, a relative or a friend. And they're the ones where you share the gospel often with them and you share the truth with them. But what happens is as they hear it, it simply just seems to bounce off of their heart and right back out and just it doesn't seem to have any effect. And Jesus is saying, yes, there is individuals that are walking around in that condition. And he says, not only does the word of God just kind of lay on the surface on the outside, never penetrating their heart, but on top of that, Satan comes and snatches it away. He says at the beginning, it's like a bird that comes along. So the bird is equated as Satan. He will come and literally take away whatever it was that was sown there so it doesn't have any opportunity to get in and penetrate that heart. It's a pitiful condition. It's hard to watch someone that is in that way and in that condition. It's painful sometimes. This type of heart, though, is not out of reach of God. And that's a great encouragement because this will be every condition of the heart. And by the way, I want to just tell you that all of us have some measure of each of these examples in our own hearts. You know, I just explained it as sort of the whole encompassing person who's got a hardened heart and they're kind of rejecting God's word and it's not, not able to go deeper into them. But there's parts of our own hearts, parts of my own heart that God's been trying to get at, but it's not quite ready and so what does God have to do in that individual's life? He has to go in. He has to break up the soil. He has to begin to go to work and break it up so that the seed can then penetrate the heart and go down and have its work that it's desired. And that's even harder to watch sometimes. When God goes to begin to break up the heart of a hardened heart of an individual, it can be painful to watch. Because God will use any method he can to get to that person because he loves them so dearly. And so he doesn't hold back anything. And he'll use whatever is needed to break up that soil, that hardened heart, so that he can get to them, so that they can experience the truth and know it and ultimately be saved. So the first one that Jesus talks about is the path. It's a hardened heart. Secondly, he speaks of rocky places. And this is what I would call a shallow heart. In verse 5 and also in verses 16 and 17, he speaks of it. In verse 16, he says, Others, like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word at once and they receive it with joy. So this is the type of person where you share with them, they have something going on, they actually are engaging in a conversation, they're engaging with the truth, but what happens is it goes in initially, but it doesn't seem to go any deeper than what I would say is an emotional response. And we see this a lot. Uh, I was a youth pastor for nine years, and I had the, the honor and privilege of being able to go to all these summer camps, which are amazing in and of themselves. I saw 
Many kids, you know, the last night of camp, we would call it the, the come to Jesus night, right? And so you, the whole week is culminating to bringing these young people to a place where they'll surrender to Jesus. And a lot of times you'll, you'll see just when the speaker would give that opportunity to come forward, they've been being worked on by God all week and their counselors have been speaking in their life and their friends are praying for them and the music. And they're kind of in this, they're in this incubator of just it's prime for God to do something great. And then they get to that last night and so many would respond to the gospel. They'd come forward and they'd be crying and it was this amazing emotional night. But lo and behold, many times in those situations, just a few months later, I would wonder where all these kids who came forward are. What they did is they had an emotional response to the truth. But they didn't go any further than that. And this is the type of person where it's very shallow soil. It's a very shallow faith. It's a very shallow understanding of God's word. But right below that surface is still hardness that the seed needs to get through, the truth needs to get to, so that God can do his work. And it says there in verse 17, since they have no root, it lasts only a short time. It says when trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fell away. You know, almost immediately when someone receives the word of God, there's going to be a required response from you. You know, this is, the, this is what the call of the gospel is. Respond to the truth. You know, obey. Hear the word and obey. And what happens is when you're faced with that moment, it's not always going to go well with maybe your friends or people in your family or, or even a spouse. And what happens is there's persecution that comes because of the truth. Jesus warned us that this would happen. In this type of individual, the persecution comes because of the truth and they quickly fall away because they don't have the roots that are necessary to help them weather that trial. So it starts with the path, but then it moves on to the rocky places. Then the third type of heart that Jesus describes there is what we call the thorny places found in verses 7 and verses 18 and 19, or I like to call it the crowded heart. The crowded heart. It says in verse 19, it says, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word out, making it unfruitful. So this is the type of person where they receive the word in, something's happening, you're starting to see some growth, you're starting to see some life. They're, maybe they're the type of person where you shared the gospel, they're willing to come to church, they're willing to get engaged, maybe they join a small group, they're willing to actually have gospel-centered, Bible-centered conversations, and there's a part of their life that it's very real. But he says something happens to these, this individual where it's growing up, but it, it's not growing up the way that it needs to in the environment that it needs to, and it's being crowded out and literally being choked out so that it doesn't have the opportunity to bear any fruit. There are people who have been sitting in pews and in churches for 20 and 30 years, and this is their description. They come because of an obligation. Maybe their wife nagged them on in. Or maybe they think it's just the right thing to do. But if you were to get right below all of that and get to the heart of the matter, is truly Jesus 
Lord and Savior? Is he truly the one whom they are living for? Do they, are they allowing the word of God to work in their life in such a way that they're willing to snuff out some of these other things and not allow the faith and the truth of God to be choked out by the cares of the world? Because that's what he describes there. He says that they accept it and they, they go forward, but he says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in. We live in an affluent area. And let me tell you, keeping up with the Joneses will choke out the fruitfulness of God. It's just a sad truth. And with wonderful blessing comes wonderful responsibility, doesn't it? And so we have opportunities to use what God has given for his purposes and his kingdom and, and to bless and to serve. And so it becomes his, his blessing, not, not just for us. But sometimes we can get our focus off, and this individual never got it focused right, and the cares of this world and all of those things begin to come in, and they choke out the wonderful word and the wonderful truth, and it never bears fruit in their life or in the lives of others. So close. So close. Then the last soil that he speaks of is the good soil. It's found in verse 8 and also in verse 20. And he says that this is what I call a fruitful heart. And he says the good soil, it says others like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word of God. They accept it and produce a crop, a crop 60 30, and some 100 times what has been sown. And this is the soil of the heart that really takes the gospel in, takes the truth of God in. They want to see God's word active in their life. They want to respond to what God has shown them through devotions. They want to allow their life to become a vessel for God so that they can see his kingdom go forward. They, this is the submitted and, and just loving Jesus person, right? Now look, I know we all can't get that perfect and we all go through seasons and of you know, closeness and distance with Jesus and all of that, but this is primarily, he's saying, this is a type of heart that's gonna bear fruit. It's gonna have a crop. In other words, it's going to be more than just itself. And I love that. I love that because there is going to be great times of discouragement when we share our faith with others. Three-fourths of the soil that are, that are cast upon reject it and never reach what the fulfillment that God had designed for them. Only one-fourth will actually get it, a remnant. And so we can have encouragement to know that, look, not everybody's going to get this. Not everybody's going to receive it. Not everybody's going to want it. But there will be those that do. Doesn't it get exciting when you get to pray with someone to receive Christ? I have a twin sister, and uh, I was the first in my family to receive Jesus. And so the Lord kind of plucked me out of this crazy life. I was 18 and a mess, and I had this twin sister. And I was the rebel, and she was the obedient one, which is crazy. Because even though she was obedient, what I mean by that is she got straight A's. She got a math degree to Virginia Tech. Um, they let me graduate high school. And so, so here's this, this twin sister of mine, and I keep sharing Jesus with her. You know, I, I was so, it was, it was literally an Acts chapter 9 moment for me. One minute I was blind, the next minute I saw the light. It was, it's an amazing story. If I had a, a, maybe I'll come back and share it some other time. But when I shared the gospel with my sister initially so many times, she would reject to the point of where the 
spring before she got, or the, the winter before she got saved. She got saved in the spring. The winter, my mom asked us to uh, over for dinner for Christmas Eve. We had dinner at my mom's house for Christmas Eve. And my mom says, Turner, why don't you pray and bless the food? And I began to pray and bless the food. And my sister got so angry, she got up from the table and walked out and said, you're always pushing Jesus on everyone. And uh, all I was doing was praying. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what was happening is God was working on her heart. He was working on her heart. Finally, in the spring, she uh, graduated from college. And she called me one morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. She had graduated, been sent to an internship for her degree in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And she, was the, she had to live, the best way that God set it up is she was offered to live with this family for uh, for free, working with their business, um, or she could pay rent somewhere else, and they, the pay wasn't enough. So, she, but the only thing was, is she had to go to church with them on Sundays. God just hemmed her in, and she'd go to church reluctantly, whatever. And then God got a hold of her one morning, seven o'clock in the morning. She called the house. I picked up the phone, and she said, "I'm one of you." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, I'm going to get baptized. I gave my life to Jesus. Awesome. Yeah, wonderful. The good news is that we're all in process. We're not always going to be the path. We're not always going to be rocky soil. We're not always going to be this thorny soil. We're going to, we're in process and God can work in all of them. And he is working in all of them. But Jesus was preparing his disciples to know these conditions, to know what they could expect because he was expecting them to obey him and fulfill the great commission and be willing to share, to to be willing to be the sowers, the one casting out the truth. And he says, when you do that, you can expect this in return. So he was trying to give them this deep spiritual truth about the kingdom that they would need so that they wouldn't be discouraged. And so on the heels of the sower, he goes into another parable. And it seems like a completely different parable, but it connects very well with what Jesus is trying to teach them. Look at verse 21 there in your Bible. It says, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought up, brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he finishes with this. Actually, I'll do that in a second. In verse 21 there, he's talking about this is what a believer is. He says, you are now an, a lamp that's going to shine for the world to see. He says, but your, your light wasn't meant to be put under a bed, you know, hidden away, tucked away, and just brought out occasionally and lit when it was needed. He says, no, it's meant to be put out for everyone to provide light for everyone to see. And so he's saying, look, be consistent in this. Be the light that you're called to be. Now, something about the, the lamp that we need to understand is that the lamp in these ancient times were oil lamps. And so they, would, they were these, these clay type of uh, structure and they would pour oil in them and they would have to put a wick inside of it and they would have to care for it, maintain it. And so as you would use the lamp, the oil would run out eventually. And so it would need to be filled again. And this connects with the last part of what he says there because in verse 24, he says, consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and even more. In other words, when you decide to let the light of Christ shine through you, the oil 
that is representative of God's Holy Spirit is the empowerment to live for Christ. When you expend that for the gospel, for the kingdom, for living for him, he promises you that whatever measure you use it, it will be given back to you, not only what you use, but even more. As a vessel, as a lamp, as you burn up and use the oil that God provides, he promises the believer, the worker, that he will fill your lamp again. I love that. He's saying, hey, you're a sower. You're casting the kingdom principles out. You're sharing the gospel. When you do this work, I'm going to fill you and empower you if you're willing. And whatever measure you give, I'm going to give back to you even more. And the warning at the end there is he says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So he's warning us, be willing to be the vessel. So he starts off with the sower, and then he goes into the lamp that we are and how we will, the promise of being filled again, again, and again. And then he goes into the parable of the growing seed because the burden of the person who shares their faith is always wondering, at least for me, in the back of my head, did I do it good enough? Did they get it well enough? Are they, am I messing up God? Am I putting roadblocks in front of him to do his work in their life? Am, you know, did I not use the right words? Did I not have the right attitude? Whatever we might go and second guess after we share. And he says the growing seed will answer this question for us because he says in 26, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts sickle to it because the harvest has come. There's a big fancy theological word. It's called soteriology. It's the process in which God saves people. This is what Jesus is talking about here. It doesn't lie in your expertise, your talent, or anything that you bring to the table. It's all about God, his work, his faithfulness, and the way that his spirit works to save people. That should bring great relief to you because you have what we call the opportunity to just simply be obedient. It's not on how hard or how smooth your language is or how well you present the truth or all of that. It's really simply making yourself available, being willing to love people and share the truth with them in the most loving way possible and let God's spirit do the work. The seed, the farmer, he says, whether he goes to bed or wakes up, the seed's gonna do what it's gonna do when it's in the right soil. It is nothing to do with us. It's all Jesus. Amen? Your friend, your neighbor, your family member, the person you're sharing, the person that's in your mind right now that you want to come to faith in Christ, God is the one who's responsible for bringing them in. Not, it's not on you. You are relieved today. He will do the work. Amen? It's wonderful. And then he goes into this parable of the mustard seed. And these are all connected. Do you see how they're all connected now? How Jesus had purpose in what he was sharing with the disciples? The mustard seed is no different. In verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what par parable shall we use to describe it? It is, it is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of seed that you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches 
that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So I just want to point out a couple things about this parable. He says it's, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. But he says once it's planted and tended, it will grow up and it will have such large branches that even the birds can, can make nests in it. And this is actually an image of the future for the church that Jesus is casting for the disciples to understand. You to understand, you have the 12, and then after Jesus rises from the dead, uh, Corinthians tells us there was about 500 that were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. But when you get into Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is given to the church to empower them so that they can actually do the work that God wants them to do, there's only 120 in the upper room. By the end of that chapter, in that same day, 3,000 are added to the number of the church. So it goes from 120 to 3,000. It's the first megachurch in the history of the world. It's pretty incredible. Not only did it continue to grow, we're told in Acts that it says that they added, God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. It said that we know that through Paul's ministry of planting churches that it reached almost every area of the Roman Empire. God was taking something small, 12 guys, flipping the world over, making it have a worldwide response. It's like a mustard seed. He's saying the church, the gospel, the way it's going to work, it's going to be like this, this little mustard seed that's going to grow to become this big tree, this bush, this bush. <laughs> Interestingly, though, he says that the birds of the air get to have a home in it. Well, there was other birds that were mentioned in the first parable. Remember that? And that was Satan. Jesus was warning the, the disciples that there's going to be satanic influence trying to infiltrate the church. He's saying that there's going to be heresies introduced to try and move the purity of the gospel of grace from what its truth is. He said that there's going to be false teachings like Gnosticism and, and you know, Judaizers that are going to come in and these things that we end up seeing spoken of in the New Testament through the writings of Paul primarily. And it's no different today. There's all kinds of crazy gospels that are going around how people think people can be saved. There's all kinds of crazy churches that you can find. Just do an internet search. No, don't do the internet search. Just keep coming here. You're good. Jesus was reminding them and telling them and preparing them to understand that this message of the truth that you're going to become a part of, that you're going to be sowing out, it's going to have potential to continue to grow and become something so enormous, and Satan's going to continue to come at it and try and infiltrate it. Praise God that he has overcome all of these things, and the church is his bride, and he will never leave it. So Jesus kind of finishes with that, with the parable of the mustard seed. And then I want to take a minute and focus on the last section here about Jesus calming the storm. In verse 35, he says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took, along, took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats also with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What's interesting about this is 
we've been learning about Jesus' parable. I'm going to give you a Turner parable. Is that okay? The boat that faces a storm can so much and so easily be equated to your and my life. Sometimes we're just this vessel trying to get to the other side. And out of nowhere in our life, a storm can come up. Maybe it's a job issue. Maybe it's a marriage issue, a health issue. I mean, these storms can take all kinds of forms. And we have no ability to stop it. It's out of our control. And if we're honest, we might feel at times as though we're going to drown. We do our best. You know, we try and stop the water and we scoop out what we can. But, you know, honestly, it's just, it's just futile effort. And oftentimes when a person's in that position of life, they have a tendency to have one of two responses. They can have a response of fear or they can have a response of faith. But one thing I know is that faith and fear can't be in the same boat. The disciples were concerned for their life and they look back and Jesus is asleep at the back of the boat on a cushion. And what's, in, what's amazing to me is that the boat in the back of the boat in particular is where you'll find the rudder. This is how you steer the boat. And Jesus is asleep right by the rudder. It's as if Jesus literally steered that little vessel into that storm with purpose. And sometimes in our life, when we're facing some crazy storm that's out of our control, we have to remind ourselves we can either have fear or faith and also that Jesus may have steered us in this direction, that he may have permitted this storm, this trial on purpose, that there's something greater that he wants to extract out of this experience for you and for me. I know that Oftentimes when, you know, I'm in the middle of a confusing situation, I don't understand what's happening, my first, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but my first response might be to say, God, are you asleep? Where are you? But I love the fact that Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and he admonished them and said, just have faith. Where's your faith? And so this morning, I want to end on that. Maybe you're facing some bizarre storm. You didn't plan on it. You don't want it. But I want to encourage you. Number one, Jesus has got the rudder in his hands. Number two, he's not asleep. And number three, have faith that he is involved. Amen? Amen. Can I just pray for you? Father, this morning, I thank you so much just for your grace, your love. I thank you so much for the way you take care of us. I thank you for your word. It's so encouraging. Lord, I pray for that person this morning that came in and they're fighting some kind of storm and they may have been wondering if there's any point in even coming today. They're wondering where you've been. They've been praying. They've been asking. Lord, I ask that you would demonstrate yourself to them this morning, that today, they would experience you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be close to them, that you would encourage them, that you would bless them with your presence. And Lord, that you would carry them through this storm.
So, Lord, we commit it to you. We ask this of you, and we give thanks to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.